0: Good morning and welcome. Would you stand with me for the call to worship and invocation? Remain standing after that for the hymn. Let us worship God who reconciles us to Himself through Christ. Let us worship God as Christ's ambassadors. Let us worship God in spirit and in truth. Father, this is the day that you have made. This is the place to which you have called us this morning. You have promised. That we, when we gather together with brothers and sisters in Christ, when we do this in your name, that you would join us. We want you. We invite you. We need you to keep that promise. Amen.
1: It is great to see you as we gather for worship today, whether this is your first time here, you've been here a few times, or you've been here for years, we are excited to have you here in worship as we come together to, to give praise and glory to God. I want to invite you to take a moment and perhaps introduce yourself to someone around you, greet one another through the grace of Christ. It's always good to be together in the house of the Lord, and we're glad that you're here. Uh, this is uh, this week at the college is the Faith and Justice Symposium, and uh, Brian Webb, who is the director of the symposium, is here. He's going to share just a little bit about what's happening and how we might be involved in uh, this important event.
2: Thank you. Good morning. Uh, as Pastor West said, this coming week is the sixth annual Faith and Justice Symposium. Every year, uh, the College sets aside a week where we tackle uh, a topic related to justice in some capacity and how we as Christians can respond to that particular issue. This year's theme is on loving our neighbors, immigrants, and refugees. And we have a very exciting lineup of speakers and activities around that theme that we're looking forward to and encourage you to to join us. The symposium starts on Wednesday uh, during chapel when Jenny Yang, the Vice President for Advocacy and Policy at World Relief, will be speaking... On Thursday evening, we're going to have a music and art event in the Campus Center Lounge, and that will involve a good number of Houghton students, both from our campus here, but also from the Houghton Buffalo campus, sharing both their musical talents and abilities, but also sharing their stories as well, particularly students who come from immigrant and refugee backgrounds, sharing some of the experiences they've had. We'll have a participatory art project and an art auction, as well as other things on Thursday night. And then on Friday, Dr. Danny Carroll will be speaking. He is an Old Testament professor at Wheaton College. And in the afternoon, we will have workshops from several different individuals, including David Drury from the Wesleyan Church. And on Friday evening, we'll conclude with a film and panel discussion after the film. So we would encourage you to attend any of those that you're able to. Everything is free and open to the public. And for more information, you can go to the Houghton website, type in faith and justice in the search bar and find out anything you need to know. Thank you.
1: See in your, your, thank you, Brian, and I do hope that you're able to participate. In your bulletin is a blue insert about Wednesday Kids Clubs. And we are excited about uh, this opportunity to engage our children, to nurture their faith. It is one of, one of the uh, primary reasons for our existence is to help our children come to, uh, to live their lives in faith in response to the grace of God. And one of the ways we do that is through, we do it through Sunday school. We do it through uh, other kinds of ministries, children's church, junior church, the nursery even, and also Wednesday night. And uh, these kids clubs are for uh, ages 2 through 6th grade. And as you can see on that sheet, we have some needs. Uh, we have needs to actually, in order to make the program run, we're uh, sort of at a, a critical point of needing some help. If you can, uh, if you can give an hour... Uh, most of the things that are listed on this sheet, most of the needs, are, are not things that you need to prepare for. As much as they are just coming and being with the children, loving them, sharing with them, listening to them, talking with them, engaging with them. Which is also often one of the ways in which uh, children, uh, we develop relationship with them. And so uh, let me encourage you strongly to, to pray seriously about being involved. If you are interested in being involved, uh, you can... Uh, Take out a piece of paper, maybe a piece of paper in front of you, a card or something. Just write uh, Wednesday Children's Ministry, put your name on it, contact information. You can drop it in the offering plate. You can hand it to me after the service or any of the other uh, staff members, and we'll make sure it gets uh, to Emily. And we we just, uh, we really want to see this program work well. You'll notice that the dates are just a couple of times a month. And the reason for that is that we, this year we're experimenting with doing a monthly intergenerational gathering. Where We have an event, we have an event that uh, everyone is invited to and it will be, there will be children and youth and adults there and some interaction with each other. And we're excited about that as well. But, uh, so we need, we need some help for this Wednesday ministry. Thank you for participating. This is the last day also to sign up to help in the nursery. If you haven't yet done that you would like to, there are some sheets on the back table. And again, pick up one of those. You can hand it to me or you can get to the church office. But I think the schedule is going to be made tomorrow. And the, the other thing is a membership class. I'm hosting a class uh, next week. And if you're interested in joining the church or just knowing more about the church, more about what membership might mean, uh, the class doesn't obligate you to join, but uh, it gives you the information you need to make a decision. I'd love to have you be a part of that. Just let me know in the next few days and uh, we'll get you on
0: the list. Our Old Testament reading this morning comes from the book of Malachi, chapter 2. Listen to a rather sober word from the Lord. And now, you priest, this warning is for you. If you do not listen and if you do not resolve to honor my name, says the Lord Almighty, I will send a curse on you, and I will curse your blessings. Yes, I have already cursed them. Because you have not resolved to honor me. Because of you, I will rebuke your descendants. I will smear on your faces the dung from your festival sacrifices, and you will be carried off with it. And you will know that I have sent you this warning so that my covenant with Levi may continue, says the Lord Almighty. My covenant was with him, a covenant of life and peace, and I gave them to him. This called for reverence, and he revered me and stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and nothing false was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness and turned many from sin. For the lips of a priest ought to preserve knowledge, because he is the messenger of the Lord Almighty, and people seek instruction from his mouth. But you have turned away... Turned from the way and by your teaching have caused many to stumble. You have violated the covenant with Levi, says the Lord Almighty. So I have caused you to be despised and humiliated before all the people because you have not followed my ways but have shown partiality in matters of the law. Do we not all have one Father? Did not one God create us? Why do we profane the covenant of our ancestors by being unfaithful to one another? This is the word of the Lord. Will you stand with me for the doxology as our ushers come to receive our tithes and offerings? Gracious Father, all good things come from you, including all that we have. You have asked us to return a portion for the use in your kingdom. As we obey you, may you bless what we give. May you bless those who give. In the name of him who is faithful, amen.
1: The choir has so beautifully reminded us the words of Charles Wesley. What Christ has done in our lives makes all the difference. It is because of what Christ has done that we can come to Him in honesty about who we are. And so I invite you to join me in the prayer of confession that is printed in your bulletin. And following the prayer of confession, we will... Pray together, and if you would like to use the altar rail as we pray then following this prayer, please come and join me. Let us pray together. Gracious Lord, far too often we are more interested in conflict than in peace. We fight to get our own way. We wrestle for recognition. We argue in order to prove that we are right We are often more concerned with winning than with loving. Our attitude creates conflict, tension, and much pain. Heavenly Father, forgive us. Give us a new vision of the Prince of Peace. Open our hearts to the Holy Spirit that makes us more interested in compassion and grace than in perfection and judgment. We ask this in confidence knowing that you hear us and that you forgive us through the mercy of Christ. Amen. Father, we give you thanks for your grace to us in Jesus Christ. We are here today unworthy and yet grateful. And we pray that as we embrace, as we receive all that you offer us in grace, that you will continue to work in our hearts. Father, this morning we we pray about all of the burdens and the needs of our lives and others in which life is not what we would hope for it to be. We pray your comforting presence for all who grieve today. We pray for your healing grace upon all who are struggling with issues of health, pain. We pray especially for Mildred Berry, Doris Seppian, for Blanche Weaver, Tammy Dunmire, Luke Heisinger. For Wade Marsh, Sheldon Emerson, Bob Jobert, Laurel Bucher, For Bill Getty, for Warren and Ella Woolsey. For Phil Muker and Mike Raybuck. For Bev Rett, Micah Christensen. For Linda Roth and Dick Gould and Emily Cricklar. And for others who are on our minds today. We pray your healing grace. Father, we pray for this world in which we live. A world of great pain and heartache. We think of refugees throughout the world who have been displaced from their homes and their homeland. And we pray that you would bring rescue and help. Give us compassionate hearts for these very needy people. We pray, Father, for all who are recovering from recent disasters and terrorist attacks. And we pray for racial healing in our nation that is so divided we pray father for your church around the world we pray for the believers who are in europe it's become very post christian and attempting to share the love of christ and they do a lot of doing a lot of work with refugees we pray father that your church in europe would be a, a loving witness of who you are in every moment of life We pray for the Remedy Church and those churches like it in the Czech Republic and pray that you would help them as they meet the physical, social, spiritual needs of refugees and others. We pray for our brothers and sisters in West Africa as they live in a very oppressive environment, an environment that pushes in upon them. The culture is so ingrained into these other religions We pray for strength. We pray for a sense of peace and to be a presence of your love and grace. Father, we pray for the ministries of our church. And this morning, we think of our Wednesday evening children's program. We thank you for all of our children. We are so blessed to have children here. And and we desire to be a church that nurtures the faith of our children, that they would always know you and follow you and love you. Help us, Lord, to do that. And in this particular ministry, give us grace to step forward and to be a part of nurturing their faith. And that we might find in our involvement your grace in our lives as well. Lord, we pray for other churches around us. And think today of the Bolivar United Methodist Church. And Pastor Hudland, may your blessing be upon her and this congregation May they be united in you that as others watch them, they would see you and that they would be drawn to you. Father, we thank you for hearing our prayers. Thank you for giving us hearts of compassion as you have. Continue to work in us, to mold us, shape us into the image of Christ. And we offer this prayer in his name and in his grace.
3: Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea. A great high priest whose name is God, whoever lives and pleads for and tells me My Savior and my God, with Christ my Savior and my God, with Christ my Savior and my God.
0: Our New Testament reading this morning comes from Paul's letter to the Galatians, chapters 3 and 4. Beginning with verse 23, following the reading, children may be dismissed for children's church. Hear the word of the Lord as revealed through the apostle. Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. So in Christ Jesus, you all are children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ... Then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. What I am saying is that as long as an heir is under age, he is no different from a slave, though he owns the whole estate. The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were under age, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also and air. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Please be seated. We all wrestle with identity— who we are. We um, we struggle to figure out our, our place in the world, and how do we find significance and value? And, of course, our culture is continually bombarding us with messages about that. You see it all around us as people declare my identity is in my sexuality. My identity is in how much I possess. My identity is in how popular I am. My identity is in what I can do, who I know. The common and the common thing about all of the ways in which we tend to identify ourselves is that they're all rooted in us. They're all about us. And the problem with that is that we are so imperfect and fragile that all it takes is a word from someone and we feel our identity slipping away. All it takes is a downturn of the economy and we feel our identity slipping away. All it takes is is uh, enough commercial messages and we find our identity slipping away. And Paul is talking to the Galatian Christians and saying, you've got your identity in the wrong place. You had it right. You had it in Christ. But you have been you've been tricked In fact, he begins by saying, you foolish Galatians, who has tricked you? Who's bewitched you? Who has turned the tables on you? How could you be so foolish to believe that and to buy into that when you know it's Christ? This group, probably this group of of Jewish Christians from Jerusalem have come to the churches in Galatia and are saying to them, you're not really identified with Christ because you're not Jewish enough. You're Gentiles, and until you, can, you become Jewish, until you embrace all the law, all of the rules and the forms of the Jewish faith, you cannot truly be Christian. You cannot truly be the, the identity of, of God in Christ that you were created to be. You've got to do this first. As Paul says, the problem with that is that not only is it foolish, but it leads to being cursed by God. It puts you under the curse of God. And we read that in Malachi. It's a very harsh passage. You almost sense that, that uh, Paul could have written those words in Malachi because the harshness of that passage is revealed the harshness of this passage of saying to, to the believer, saying to and Malachi to the people of Israel, what is wrong with you? You, you? you had it and you're going the opposite way. You're thinking about just yourselves. You're not thinking about who you are in Christ. And you're putting yourselves under the curse of God. Why would you do that? And the reason we know we're, we're heading in that direction is because none of us are perfect. I mean, he says, Paul says, if you're going to follow the law, okay, fine. You just need to understand, if you follow one part of the law and that's your identity, you have to follow every single part of the law. And I could almost see him stepping back saying, let's see you try that. Nobody's that good. And he says, it's, it's the Holy Spirit that you need. Now, he does say there are some benefits to the law. You almost are surprised that he would say that because he's so emphatic against it. But he says there are a couple of benefits to the law. One of them is found in verse 19. And he says, the, the law shows us, reveals to us when we're sinning. And he, and he says in, in verse 19... Why, why then was the law given? It was given alongside the promise to show people their sins. And he's saying the thing about the law that's good is that it will show you when you are doing wrong. It is, it is something that will help you see this is not right. You need to change it. Now, he doesn't mean that if God hadn't given the law, people wouldn't be responsible for the consequences of their sin. What he's saying is you've been sinning all along, you've been living with the consequences of those sins. Now let me reveal that to you. Let me help you understand what's happening. It's it's like if you're watching someone running through a field. They've never been to this place before and they're running through a field as fast as they can, but you know at the end of that field is a is a cavern. It's a it's a a, a chasm that they will fall into if they don't stop. Now, if, if nobody warns them, they're going to fall into, the ca- into this canyon. But if you put up warning signs, danger, stop, there's a canyon ahead, and they keep running, that's their own fault. And Paul is saying the law is like the danger signs. The law is saying to us, look, you're going this direction. It's not healthy. It's not good. You need to be doing these things. And and in that way, the law is a good thing for Israel to follow. And the second thing he says the law is good for is that it is a protection for us. And He talks in verse 23 about, about it being a guardian for us, a protection for us. And, and the, the law is a means of helping us, sort of like if you continue the, the metaphor of, of signs, it's like guardrails for us. And it helps us, it protects us from the danger of life. And take making decisions that are going to lead us down a path of destruction. It's what we do with our children all the time. When our children are young, we make all kinds of rules for them. Don't do that, don't touch that. You have to go to bed this time, you have to eat this and we're emphatic about it. And it's not because we're angry with them. It's because we care about them. And they, but they have no clue why we're doing it. If you think back to when you were a small child, you probably were frustrated and even angry with your parents because they made all of these rules. But as you turn the table and you become a parent, it makes more sense. But you can't see it when you're a child. But we do those things. And so when our child begins to touch a hot stove, we yell at them to stop. And it's not because, hey, I made a rule about touching, don't touching hot hot stoves and don't be breaking my rule. It's because we don't want them to burn their hand. And if they're about to run out into a busy street and we yell at them and we are angry with them, it's not because we're thinking, hey, I made the rule about not running in the street and you better not break my rules. It's because we don't want them to be injured. And Paul says that's what the law does for us, is it protects us. And this idea of being a guardian is also the, sometimes it's translated uh, schoolmaster, but it's the word pedagogue. You know, we get the word pedagogy from that. And it's a sense of learning, but it's not the teacher. In that scenario of the ancient Roman culture, the, uh, a, a child of an affluent family had a, a slave assigned to them. And the slave's job was not to teach the child. The slave's job was to make sure the child got to school. And the slave's job was to make sure the child got home from school. And that the child did their homework. And the child went to bed when they were supposed to. So they were ready tomorrow to learn again. The the job of the guardian was to create the most productive atmosphere possible. So that the child could learn from the teacher. And Paul says that's what the law does for us. It is intended to help us, to direct us, but it is not the end of itself. Because Paul says, what we're really looking for is not a life of the law guarding us and making rules to protect us. We're looking for a life with the Holy Spirit to bless us and to live in the promises of the Holy Spirit. And the promise of the Holy Spirit is that he moves us from a life of immaturity to a life of maturity. When you read chapter 4, the beginning few verses, he says, think of it this way. If a father dies and leaves an inheritance for his young children, those children are not much more better off than slaves till they grow up. Even though they actually own everything their father had. They have to obey their guardians until they reach whatever age their father set. And that's the way it was with us before Christ came. We were like children. We we're slaves to the basic spiritual principles of this world. But when Christ came, he adopted us as his children. And we have freedom. And we're no longer children who haven't gotten the inheritance. We are moving. The Holy Spirit comes to us so that we can live our lives not as spiritually immature children tied to the rules, but as spiritually mature children who have freedom. I, I used to, For a long time, I have thought that the, the most spiritual people, the holiest people, are the ones who do the best job obeying the rules. Paul is saying the most spiritual people, the most holy people, are the ones who live their lives Not needing the rules. The more holy we are, the less we need the rules. Because the Holy Spirit fills us, the Holy Spirit controls us, and we don't need rules to do that for us. We let the Holy Spirit do that. And that's freedom. But so often, we are content to live with the rules. And we think it's the rules that make us free. It's the rules that enslave us. It's the Holy Spirit that makes us free. John and Helena, and it's sort of a family effort, we're teaching our granddaughter Emma to walk. And she's, you know, she's making some progress, but she right now wants to, you know, for a long time it was hanging onto both hands as we walked behind her, and then it began one hand, and now she's basically just holding onto one finger. And she's making progress as she moves along. And, and that's exactly what we should do because she's 16 months old or whatever. But wouldn't it be weird if when she went to high school, one of us was with her walking along the hallway and she's holding our finger? I mean, that's when they start bringing in the psychiatrists to examine our family because they're wondering what in the world is going on with this group of people. See, our goal is not for her to be so immature that she never lets go of our finger. Our goal is that she walks on her own, and she runs, and she plays, and she has the freedom to live her life. And the goal is not to keep her confined to rules. The goal is that she becomes such a mature adult that she lives, she doesn't need the rules. It becomes innate in her as an adult about it's not wise to touch a hot stove. It's not right wise to run out into the street, and that's God's desire for us. We wouldn't live with the rules confining us, but we live out we live beyond them. That's what Jesus says that He came not to destroy the law but to fulfill it. It's not that the rules don't have a place but we want to move past them. We want to be more mature than, than rules will allow us to be. We want to be living the freedom of the Holy Spirit in us and to let Him guide us and let Him direct us. And when that happens, we find that it drastically alters our relationship with each other. We start living with other people in ways that when we're bound to the law, we, are, we cannot live. And when you get to the end of chapter 3, Paul says, because we are in Christ, there is no longer Jew or Gentile or male or female or slave or free. Because we are one in Christ. And he prefaces that by saying, when you are baptized, you put on your baptismal clothes of equality. Equality. Because in baptism, we are saying, I want to have the mind and the heart and the spirit of Christ. When you're tied to rules and laws, they're always about who's more valuable and who's less valuable. Who has more significance and who has less significance? Because it's all about judging who's doing a better job of following the rules. But in the Holy Spirit... We're all one in Christ. And we see each other the way Christ does. And it means that it begins to break down all of the barriers that our culture and, quite frankly, the church sometimes creates. And we no longer think about we're a better race of people than they are. We no longer think we're a better gender than they are our occupation is better than theirs we're one in christ and those things that divide us begin to shatter and get broken down and we see everyone being people of significance and worth and value It is interesting that Paul introduces here. I mean, it would have made sense if he had said, put on your baptism robes because there are no more Jews and Gentiles and moved on. Because that's what he's been talking about. But in this passage, as someone pointed out, he he doesn't just talk about Jews and Gentiles. He talks about males and females. He talks about slaves and people who are free. And I think the reason he does that is because he's trying to help us understand that the Holy Spirit in us breaks down all of the barriers that we tend to put up. All of the ways in which we judge one another of who's worthy and who's less worthy. And that means in the church, everyone is accepted. Everyone is a child of God. Everyone is a part of the kingdom who has come to Christ. And there's not who's more significant or less significant. We are all significant in Christ. Because we're children of God. You're a child of God. You're a child of God. And it's not just how we view other people. It's it's how we view ourselves. So much of the time, we wrestle with our identity. We wrestle with who we are. Because we have heard so many messages from people that if you are... Quite frankly, based on what Paul writes, if you are a Gentile or a woman or a slave, you're less significant to the kingdom. And sometimes the church makes decisions and operates in a way that reinforces that idea. And Paul is saying that is wrong. It's wrong we're all one in Christ. We're all equally significant in Christ because we are all children of God in Christ. And so when he gets to the end of chapter 4, he says that's why we can all cry out, "Abba, Father." Because we're children of God. We tend to have we have a tendency to see God in in one of two ways, and they're both true, they're both biblical. God, that God is, is a judge and that God is a father. And often one of those predominates our thinking. When you look through the history of, of the church, when God as judge is the predominant way of thinking, it's pretty difficult not to see ourselves in relationship to God in the, in the shape of a legal system. And God is sort of becomes a distant kind of judge. But when God is father, we're family. And and in family, we love each other and we forgive each other and and we have show grace toward each other and we irritate each other and we struggle with each other. But we're always connected to family. And Paul says, here's the primary image you need of God. He's a father, and you're his child, and he has great plans for you. And you need to embrace those. The call of the kingdom, the call of the gospel, the call of Jesus, is not do more, measure up, obey the law, get your life together. The call of the kingdom and the gospel and Jesus is trust me. Believe in me. Receive what I'm offering you. Have faith. Let let my grace be what drives your life and your identity. It always comes back to faith as a response to the grace of God. And so Paul writes in chapter 4, just the right time, God sent his son. Not because people were so good, but because God is. And because Christ comes, we can believe and have faith and trust him. I didn't count the number of times Paul mentions the word faith in this chapter, but I'm going to guess it's at least a dozen times. It's always about faith. That's why he goes back to Abraham and he says, look, you want to say Abraham is the great, great, great person of faith, a great man of faith. You do realize, he's saying to these people who are embracing the law, that Abraham lived 430 years before there was ever even a law. It's about faith. It's about believing that God is who he says he is, and because of that, we can believe that we are who God says we are. Children of His. Where's beloved children? Sometimes when you hear the word Abba, it sort of it, it elicits a, a mindset of a tiny a toddler trying to, to first speak and saying dada. And maybe it is that. But When I read this passage, the impression I'm getting is that Paul is saying that kind of of intimacy, because it is a term of the deepest intimacy between a child and a parent. That kind of intimacy is so much deeper between an adult child and a parent than a little child and a parent. A little child can't really comprehend how much their parent loves them. They can't understand all the ways in which a parent expresses that love and, and lives in love. And all the sacrifices that a parent may make for that child. But an adult child can get it. We understand the sacrifices that our parents make for us. We can have conversations that are deep and intimate And sometimes heated. But we love each other. And we're working things out together. And we care for each other. And we're there for each other. And that's the kind of intimacy that God wants with us. Yes, he will lead us along as a little child. But a lot of that has to do with rules. That we need. But his ultimate goal is that we are children of God. In that mature adult sense. That creates a a significantly deeper kind of trust than you could ever have as a little toddler. This is what God wants for us. This is who we are in Christ. We're children of God. And we, are, we just need to claim our inheritance and live in the truth of our inheritance. As we come to this table this morning, it is a vivid image of what God has done for us in Christ who went to the cross. It is also a vivid image of what God has promised to us in Christ on the day when Christ ushers in his kingdom. And we will experience the kind of intimacy with God that we have only dreamed about on this earth. But as we come we come as children of the Heavenly Father who loves us and calls us to trust Him and to embrace the inheritance, the identity that is ours in Him. Father, thank You for Your grace to us in Christ. We recognize that it's not because we're good. It's because you are. Give us the grace to embrace your wondrous gift. And to know that we are your children. We pray this through Christ. Amen. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he met with his disciples and took bread. He gave thanks to the Father in heaven and he broke it. He gave it to his disciples saying, take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. On the same night, he took the cup. Again, he gave thanks to the Father in heaven and gave it to his disciples saying, drink from this, all of you. For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for your sins and the sins of all people. Every time you do this, do it in remembrance of me. This morning we're receiving communion by the mode of intinction. As you are released by rose, come to the front, tear off a piece of bread, dip it into the cup, eat it, and then you may return to your seat by the outside aisles. Altar rails always open if you would like to stay and pray. If coming to the front is difficult for you or if you simply prefer, we have a tray of bread and cups. We're happy to serve you in your seat. Just let the usher know as your row is released. And uh, I also have gluten-free wafers here in cups. And if you would like those, just let me know as you come forward. I always like to mention that we practice open communion at the Westland Church. This might be the first time you've ever worshipped here. But if you come today with your heart open to God, with a desire in your heart through Christ to be a child of God and to embrace this gift, then come receive these gifts from our loving heavenly father
4: body, body of christ
3: the body of our Savior, Jesus Christ, torn for you. Eat and remember the wounds that heal the death that brings us That all may end.
1: receive the benediction. As children of God, may you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, now and forevermore. Amen.